Now, I know that you've been going through a series, you know, Unbroken, about the promises of God that are expressed through the book of uh, Genesis. And so we want to um, pick up there this morning. And uh, I guess while you're turning there, I'll kind of give you a little bit of information uh, about myself. Probably most of you don't know me. You might think, well, you look a little familiar. Uh, I work at Chick-fil-A, so you probably have seen me there. My wife also uh, works there. Uh, I'm one of the directors, uh, have been for uh, about a year now or a little over a year uh, there at Chick-fil-A. So if, you, if I look familiar somehow, or at least this looks familiar to you, then that's probably the reason <clears throat> is that you see me at Chick-fil-A. Uh, my wife and I have been married 25 years. And uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, I know, I mean, I don't look like I should have been married 25 years. No, no, no applause. Okay, fine. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, and we have three children. And uh, they are actually a couple of grandchildren. One is still bun, bun in the oven right now, and then uh, the other one she's out running around. So uh, we're grateful for that. And so we can give a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness to us over many years. And I think as I look around me, uh, I can see that there are many of you who could probably give that kind of testimony as well. But we see that very clearly revealed to us in the book of Genesis. And what the book of Genesis is about, and you've seen this over the last several weeks or months, is that God is, has an unfolding plan of salvation. And that began in earnest uh, in the promise that was given to Abraham, right? Hey, Abraham, get up and go. I'm going to make a people out of you. And through this people and through this promise I'm giving you, I'm going to bless everybody. And uh, Abraham couldn't have exactly known what that blessing was going to look like. We understand it's going to come to fruition in the, the coming of the Savior, Jesus, through his people. But here's the thing about the book of Genesis is that often this salvation plan of God that will come to us, we sing about it, we're grateful for it, and we have entered into it through faith. It often looks like in the book of Genesis like it's going to go on the rocks. It's going to be detoured. It's going to be destroyed. And for why? Because of human sin, because of our brokenness, because of our wickedness and our failures. And so there's a question that kind of hovers over the book of Genesis and you've seen it time in and time out. And it's this question, can God's plan prevail in the face of human sin? Can God's plan prevail when the people that are given the promises, when the people are given the plan, they keep messing it up? And you've seen that time after time after time. And so that tale and that question brings us to Joseph, the person of Joseph. And as you look at Joseph, you may have realized this or maybe not, I'll just bring it up to you, is there's so much space in the book of Genesis devoted to this one guy, Joseph. Over a quarter of that big book of Genesis is dedicated to this one guy. And I ask the question to myself, why? Why, God? Why do you give so much ink to this one guy out of these many generations of this promised Family, And I think one of the reasons is referring to that question before, the big question of like, is God's plan going to succeed even in the face of human sin? And I think what you see in the life of Joseph and perhaps a way that no one else in the book of Genesis demonstrates, he is uniquely and powerfully demonstrating that God has an ability to make good come out of evil. And I don't know about you, but that's a word I always need to hear. God has the power to make good come out of evil. So let me just set the scene for you, bring you up to date. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his 10 older brothers many, many years ago. He goes uh, into slavery in Egypt. 
And through a series of events, he rises from being that slave to being basically the prime minister, the second in command in all of Egypt. A famine hits, not only Egypt, but the entire area. And uh, his brothers, who think he's dead, they told his dad he's dead, they come to Egypt looking for food. And who do they wind up asking for food? But Joseph, their brother, who they didn't realize. Well, eventually, you know, he reveals himself to them. He says, guys, I forgive you. All's well. And then go get dad, bring him down here. We're all going to live together here in Egypt because the Lord's providing for us and we're going to weather out this famine down here. So when you fast forward to where we are right now in Genesis 50, this guy, Jacob, Israel, as his name would be called, and all of his sons, this guy, he has passed away. He was an old guy. He blessed all of his sons and he is dead. And then that brings us to the point where we are right now. If you look at verse 15 of Genesis 50, we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did, not, they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This statement of Joseph's here is perhaps the most famous part of this passage that I just read to you. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's bringing about good out of this evil thing. And he affirms God's sovereignty over his life. He's saying, listen, guys, I can say this to you because I see that God has been from the beginning to this day working in my life. And we also see that he, he understands that God has a purpose in his life greater than his own comfort. He's not saying that, well, you know what, uh, God always made sure that I was always perfectly comfortable no matter what came into my life. No, you understand that. You've seen through the life of Joseph, he endured a long time of slavery, a long time of imprisonment. And yet God said, or, or what Joseph is saying is, I understand that there was something in that. God was working in that for something beyond just my own comfort. And finally, he reveals that um, he's like, I have been given the ability to forgive you even though you have done evil to me. Now, I know that you should understand that God's word always aims for more than just informing us. It's not aimed at information. Right? It wants to do that. But it's always aimed beyond information to transformation. And so we always have to ask the question, what is the transformative truth revealed to us by what we have just read here? What is the truth for us? And that's what I want us to dig into this morning. The transformative truth that... Um, Joseph is expressing here through what he has experienced by God's grace and sovereignty in his life and his provision. And he's able to come to this very difficult point in his life, this confrontation basically with his brothers and express this. And I want to say, what can we do out of that? What can we apply to our own life? I think what we'll see, what we should see is that God has the power to bring good out of evil. And that should be reassuring to us as we struggle in life. 
Now, as I look out here, I don't know whether you're struggling or not. You all look pretty decent to me. But you may be. You may be struggling with some things that no one else can see. And if you are, I want to give you the assurance that there is a revelation of the nature of your God that if you understand it and you internalize it, it will transform that struggle for you. Okay? So God's power to bring good out of evil, his ability to redeem your suffering can reassure us in two places. And the first one is this. It's when we're struggling to accept our circumstances. Anyone had any trouble uh, uh, accepting your circumstances lately? <laughs> like, I don't think any of it. Hey, all right, the sound booth. Yeah, they're testifying back there. We've had a, we've had a hard time accepting our circumstances, accepting what 2020 has dealt to us. And if anyone could give a testimony in that vein, it was certainly Joseph. And yet, I want to just reiterate verse 24. So we just go back there a little bit. He says, as for you, to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Can you listen? Did you listen? Did you pick up on what Joseph said God was using? He's using evil. Now, this isn't just accidents. He's like, well, have there been accidents? No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about natural disasters. He's not talking about honest mistakes. And this is the South, so he's not talking about, well, bless her heart. She just didn't even know what she was doing. Amen? Now, sometimes we can look at that and we go, well, bless their heart. They just didn't even know that God, that God can use that. But that is not what Joseph is saying God used in his life. He's saying God used pure D, 16 ounces to the pound, evil. That's what God used. We are talking here about straight up evil. And if you review the life of Joseph, you'll see there were several different stages of evil. There was the family dysfunction, which is just evil. His dad setting him apart and favoring him so obviously that his brothers became so... That's just evil. The, the evil of his brothers just hating him to the point where they wanted him dead. That is straight up evil. Personal betrayal that he experienced. False accusations. Ooh, man, I tell you what. Is there anything that just gets under your skin more than someone accusing you of something you didn't do? I don't know about you. That flies all over me. But it's especially bad if they do it and you wind up in prison because of it. And not only is it a false accusation, they're, they're accusing you of precisely the opposite of what you actually did. <laughs> Remember Potiphar's wife. She was the one coming on to him, but she says he's the one coming on to me. He winds up in jail, false accusations. I'll tell you what, I call that purity evil. Dead-end job. I don't know what you'd call slavery, but I call that a dead-end job. Some of you might have been struggling with your job prospects lately, but I don't think you've been in slavery. So you're like, hey, that's a dead-end job. And broken promises or empty promises. You remember the, the wine taster and the... the um, the bread, uh, the baker who come in and Joseph interprets their dreams. Hey, remember me when I get out of here, guys. And they forget him. All of that evil. You and I don't struggle believing that God can use good things to bring about good stuff in our lives, do we? Mm -mm. But we do struggle with trusting God through evil circumstances. Or maybe I'm just here. I'm just testifying for myself. Maybe you don't. I do. 
I struggle believing and trusting that God can use these evil circumstances in my life. We naturally see our evil circumstances more clearly than we see God's saving purposes, and that tends to be the problem for us. But here's the deal. The more clearly we see God's saving purposes, the better we are able to accept our circumstances. This is Joseph's revelation. He's like, God meant it for good. You meant all this evil, but let me, let me tell you, God meant it for good. Now, it's important for us to stop here a minute and contemplate what does he mean by good? Because we can just, if we're not, if we're not reading it carefully, we go, he's saying, hey, guys, don't worry about it. I'm rich. <laughs> I'm rich. I got a great job. I'm in charge. You can't hurt me. It's all come to good. I got a, I got a hot wife. I got some good kids. Okay, everything's great. Got a chariot, reputation, but that's, is that the good he's talking about? He's saying, you guys meant to kill me. You meant to take everything away from me, but God's given me all this good stuff in my life. No, it's natural to think that his riches and his influence is what he's talking about, but it is not ultimately about his personal improvement. It's not about him. He says, the good that God has brought about this is what? That many people should be kept alive. He says the point is it's about saving people. Do you see there's a different lens through which Joseph has learned to see his life? Do you see that there might be a different lens through which you and I need to be able to see our circumstances and our lives? That maybe our comfort begins to diminish and our desire that God would use whatever it is in our lives to save people, the more preeminent that becomes. You see, for God's children, God is using everything for his saving purpose. And I would say it another way. God will use anything in our lives to bring, to further his purposes to save people. That's what lies behind, that's the truth that lies behind another very popular verse that we're probably all very familiar with, Romans 8, 28. Where we read that um, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Did you hear that last part there? A called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose? What is God's purpose in your life? It is to seek and to save that which was lost. God has always been and will always be until the time we see him coming on the clouds of heaven. The purpose of God will always be saving his children out of a dying world. Now, as a boy, you might remember Joseph had this vision of his brothers bowing down before him. And as any younger brother, any younger brothers out there? Any, a few, okay. Younger sisters, you know, okay, yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome to have gotten a vision of your older, you know, pesky brothers and sisters bowing down to you? He liked that. He thought it was pretty cool, I imagine. But he didn't understand what it was really about. He didn't understand the purpose behind it. He rejoiced in it because of the glory that it could bring to him. But now when he's talking to his brothers, he's seeing the fulfillment of that dream. And he's telling him them, it wasn't about me becoming somebody great. It was about God saving purposes in my life. Our suffering circumstances will make no sense to us unless we trust in God's saving purposes. Our suffering circumstances will make no sense to us unless we trust in God's saving purposes. I just draw your attention to Romans 8.28 again when he says, all things. 
All things. This means all things without exception, even the evil stuff. Pastor Tim Keller said about this concept, he says, God has so orchestrated things that he, and he has so woven together that even the evil things that people do are in his plan to do good. Now, I want to point out to you that this doesn't mean that you'll immediately understand why certain things, even evil things, have come into your life. We estimate that when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was about 17. We estimate that when he talks to his brothers right here, you want to know how old he is? He's about 56. How long did it take him to get to the place where he understood this? Well, we've got at least 41 years for him to kind of figure it out. And it may take that long. So don't think that it'll come like that. But we can trust that it will ultimately come. It may not immediately come, but it will, if we're patient, ultimately come. This is one of the reasons why you guys need to gather every week. It's one of the reasons we need to get together and remind each other of God's greater design and his saving purposes in our lives. And to remind ourselves of the destiny that we have in Jesus Christ. There's that old line from uh, Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. It doesn't say we've no less days to complain our case than when we first begun. It says we've got no less days to sing His grace. And you know what that says? Is that in eternity, through the lens of all that God has done, we'll be able to look back at every single moment in our lives and we'll be able to say, Lord God, praise to you, you used even that for your saving purposes. You will not be able to look at one second of your life and go, well, okay, that was kind of a loss. That was pitched out. You had no plan for that. That didn't fit. Child of God, do you hear what I'm telling you here? This is absolutely dynamite. There, some, and we can't even conceive of, don't ask me how, don't ask me, I don't know. But I know this, it will be that way. When you get to heaven, you will be able to look back. And I told for some of you, like, Sam, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I've just got to forget that stuff. No. No. God is saying that we'll have no fewer days to look back on every single moment and in the light of what his miraculous power is able to do, even with the evil moments, we'll be able to look and go, you know what? Lord God, great are you. You could bring even that into alignment with your saving purposes. It's like an M. Night Shyamalan film. You may or may not know who that is. He's famous for having done several kind of thriller movies where you watch through the movie and you kind of think one thing is going on and then by the time you get to the end of the film, there's a twist, there's a hook and you're like, oh. And then they work through the whole film. You go, oh, really? I, and everything looks totally the opposite of what it actually looked like when you're watching the film the first time. That's an M. Night Shyamalan film. And here's the thing about that film. You can't watch an M. Night Shyamalan film the same way twice. Because after you know the ending, you go, oh, I know what's up. I know this guy looks evil, but he's not. I know this looks like this is what's happening, but it's not. Do you understand that's what our lives are going to be like in heaven? Because God is so orchestrating things. This is what Joseph, God is giving him this ability to say it this side of the grave. There's um, the Last Dance documentary. 
that, you know, I'm old enough, so I remember the Bulls when they were winning, you know, championships back in the 90s. And so uh, they did this uh, documentary about the last dance about the, the 90s Bulls, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all that stuff, just kind of going through. And here's the thing about, just, it just reminded me of just kind of the greatness of Michael Jordan and just how, what a clutch guy he was. And there are so many times when, when the, the game is coming down to the very last minute and it's like, well, it, it looks like they've lost. Look like the Bulls have lost. But here's the thing, you know, you got Michael Jordan. You've got Michael Jordan. So it's, it's not completely out of reach. If you've got Michael Jordan, you can still win the game. That was kind of the, the moral of the entire documentary. If you've got Michael Jordan, you can always win the game. No game's out of reach. I want to just point you to your spiritual Michael Jordan, Jesus. Okay, let me tell you, if there's no life... There's no evil situation. There's no buzzer beater. That There's no scoreboard that you can look at and go, there's no way God can turn that into a victory. He can do it every single time. Every single time. And so if you look on the bench, well, he's not going to be on the bench. You look out on the court, and you're like, listen, the ball's going to be, when it comes down to, when, when the, the, the clock hits zero at the end of this world, the ball is going to be in the hands of Jesus Christ. He's going to win. And it's going to turn every moment in that game, this game we've called life, it's going to turn it upside down. So God's power to bring good out of evil is reassuring when we are struggling to accept our circumstances. And it's also really reassuring when we are struggling to accept or to extend God's forgiveness. Uh, Look at verse 17 again. When these servants are sent with this message from Joseph's brothers to him, he uh, he reacts in a kind of a strange way maybe. He says he, he weeps when they spoke. It says he wept when they spoke to him. Why? Why? Why is Joseph weeping? Let me uh, extend this explanation here of the, the tears of Joseph. His brothers are struggling to believe that he told them the truth when he said, I forgive you. And he's realizing, they didn't believe me. They don't believe me. My brothers have not accepted the forgiveness that I have offered to them. Now that might be hard for us to kind of get our minds around a little bit, but imagine my wife is a a fantastic Baker, she loves to bake cheesecakes and so forth. Uh, the, if you like cheesecake, she, she knows how to do some cheesecakes. And she likes to bake for people. And of course, when she bakes a cheesecake for somebody, or some of you, you like to cook, when you're cooking your signature dish, that thing that you, you want people to go, mmm, oh, ooh. you know, this is fantastic. You want them to ooh and ah over. You want them, you want their mouths to water. You want them to just dive into that thing and enjoy it and love it because you have produced it. You've slaved over it in the kitchen and you are bringing it out for them to to receive. But if you can imagine you have slaved over your cake, you've slaved over your signature casserole, you have dropped it off at your friend's house and you said, I did this out of love. I give it to you. Enjoy it. And then you're talking to them later. And they, you say, well, how did you like it? And they go, didn't eat a bite. You're like, why? Well, we were afraid it might be poisoned. We were afraid you might have put a little bit of strychnine in it. 
We were afraid the reason you gave us that cheesecake, the reason you gave us that casserole, it looked good, but we were afraid that really what was in your heart is you wanted to kill us with it. You starting to get the picture? That's the way, see, Joseph is understanding. Because let me tell you, however much sacrifice it is to bake a cake and give it to somebody, it's nothing compared to what it cost Joseph to give that forgiveness to his brothers. It was nothing compared to how difficult, how much spiritual work he had to do to be able to have a whole heart and a free heart go, brothers, I forgive you. I'm your brother. Let's, let's be reconciled. It had taken him a lifetime to figure this out. Years of hard lessons and understanding God's greater plan that we've just looked at. And he would give them that forgiveness to his family and he would see God use it to save their lives. And now that very family who he had given that forgiveness to is in front of him trying to manipulate him into doing good to them. Coming up with, hey, you know, well, daddy said... He didn't want you to kill us. They're bargaining with him. They're saying, we're going to be your slaves. Just don't kill us. That's why he wept. It's because he realized that they were struggling to accept his love. They were struggling to accept such an expensive gift of forgiveness. Um, We used to live a little bit kind of out in the boonies. And so cats would come and go. And we would kind of feed the cats because we like cats, we hate mice. Okay? If we have mice lovers out there, I'm sorry. That's just, we just have to agree to disagree. And especially my wife, she hates mice. So you love the cats. So you feed the cats. Well, we got a little um, you know, par- parade of cats that would come in. This one cat, a black and white little guy, named, we named him Domino. And he was born in a ditch. He was wild. And so he, we would put food out for him. He'd come up and he would eat. But of course, you'd come out the back door. He'd, he was off like a shot. And I just set as my goal. I'm going to try to get to where Domino will, will kind of come and let me pet him. Because cute little guy. I mean, if you'll just see, you know, listen, hey, I'm going to feed you, buddy. I'm going to be good to you. Things are good. And so eventually I'd sit out there and he'd kind of come up and creep up and get the food and all that. And just kind of air, warily look at me out of the side of his, you know, little feline face and eat, okay? And then over time, just patiently, I got him to the point where he's eating. And I just kind of put my hand over and kind of stroke him behind the ears. Of course, he's a cat. He likes that. He's, mmm. But here's the funny thing about Domino, okay? Is that he'd be like, mmm, that feels good. And then he'd be like, whoa, what is that? There's a hand. You're touching me. And he'd be off like a shot. Once he realized that I was the one doing it, and he never, he never, we just never got together. We could never make it work. Because he couldn't accept the goodness. He couldn't trust in his little cat-like heart. I don't even know if cats have a heart. Not that kind of heart. If you're a dog lover, you think, no, they don't. But my point is, I guess if you're like, listen, what was the point of Sam's sermon? Don't be like Domino. Right? Don't be like Domino. Don't, don't distrust the forgiveness that God is accepting or extending into your life? You see, the reason that his brothers are struggling with Joseph's forgiveness is because they forgot who he is. Who who was Joseph? 
Joseph is their brother who suffered evil in order that his family might be saved. That's who Joseph is. And Joseph has been trying to tell them, guys, this is who God made me to be. You think you did this to me, and you did in your own little way, but here's the thing. You didn't make me who I am. God did. You weren't ultimately in control of my life. God was. Ultimately, it was God who gave me this particular life to live, this particular cup to drink, and through all of this, he was going to give me the opportunity to save my family, and I praise God for it. The cup of his suffering was given to him in order that others might be saved. Now, brothers, I want you to hear this. Sisters, I want you to hear this. This life of Joseph is meant to direct us to our ultimate Joseph. Because you may have already kind of just thought, man, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Just as the sins of Joseph's brothers had put him in that place of suffering, but God had a better and a bigger plan in it, so the sins of Jesus' brothers and sisters, our sins, placed him in a place of suffering and loss. As Jesus said in Mark 10, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And who were those many? His brothers and sisters. To save his family. Joseph weeps because he's saying to his brothers, if you knew who I was, you would know you're forgiven. If you would know who God had made me to be, you would know that I wasn't just pretending when I forgave you. And Jesus Christ says the same thing to us. If you know who I am, then you'll know that you are forgiven. I'm your brother born to suffer for your salvation. That's who Jesus Christ is. And so Joseph comforts them with these assuring words there in verse 21. You can read them again. It says, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Child of God, do you hear what Joseph is saying? And I think by extension, what Jesus Christ is perhaps saying into your circumstances. Joseph is saying to his brothers, you don't have to manipulate me into being good to you. You don't have to manipulate Jesus into being good to you. You don't have to bargain with him. You don't have to bribe him. He's like, I am your brother born to save you. Joseph is granting forgiveness not because of anything that his brothers can give him. Because they can't give him anything. The best they can come up with is, hey, we'll be your slaves. He's like, guys, you can't give me anything that I need. And can I ask you, what could you actually give Jesus that he needs? What are you going to bargain with him for forgiveness? You got nothing. You got nothing that he didn't give to you. Enjoying forgiveness is always connected to drawing near to Jesus. Knowing who he is and listening to him. So maybe you're struggling with accepting or feeling or even walking or extending God's forgiveness, I'd like to invite you to take a walk to the cross, to draw near to the body of Christ, pierced hands, beaten, head and brow. And as you kind of walk up that dusty road on that dark day, you hear him. And he's saying, Father, Forgive them. 
because they don't know what they're doing. Are those the words of someone who needs to be bribed into forgiving? Are those the words of someone who needs to be blackmailed? If you've been tempted to try to manipulate God to bless you or to forgive you or to help you, stop. Listen to your Savior. Listen to your brother born to suffer for you. Accept what he is. Accept who he is. Serve him because you love him, not because you're afraid of him. That's what Joseph wanted. That's what Jesus wants. Serve me. Accept what I am doing in your life. Maybe you're struggling with your situation. I would invite you to take a walk to the cross. Because in that same statement, he says, forgive them. Not only that, but they don't know what they're doing. You know what he's saying there? He's like, Father, you and I know what's going on. They don't even know the evil that they're doing. They don't even know how bad this is. They don't even know the level of injustice that they are doing right now. And even more than that, Father, they don't know that this very thing is the thing that you are going to use to save millions from hell. They don't know how good you're going to make it. Forgive them. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So if you're struggling with your situation, believe that God can take a curse and turn it into your salvation because that's exactly what he did. And if he can do that, then he can use whatever situation you find yourself in and whatever circumstance you find yourself in, he can turn it into good for you. So where does that leave us as we're kind of getting ready to walk out into the world, getting ready to sing you know, our final song and kind of wrap up? What, what do we do with, with all of this? I want to encourage you, number one, to just listen to the Lord. And secondly, to give what you've received. If you are a child of God, then you receive the kind of costly forgiveness that cost Jesus his life, and he gave it willingly. And in, by virtue of how he did it, he kind of shows you, listen, if I can take the cross and turn it into salvation, then I can take whatever is going on in your life and turn it to a good, saving purpose. Maybe it's just praying, like, Lord God... Because I understand, sometimes we're not feeling it. Amen? Sometimes you've got to know it, and you've got to know your heart into feeling it. And that may be where you are right now. And the first step in that is to say, Lord, I, I know what Sam has been saying. I see it. But maybe I don't feel it so much. If you do, praise the Lord for that. But even if you don't, be like, Lord God, I know it's true. I know this is true. Just help my heart to be in rhythm with that, to be in sync, to be in sympathy with it. And also you may just realize that you're looking at certain things in your life and you think, I, I know the Lord's not happy about this and I know the Lord's not happy about that. And so you're, you're tempted to think, well, okay, I'm going to bargain with God. I'm going to say, well, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll give you that. Stop all of that. You need to rest in His love. 
Yeah, there's some things you probably need to lay aside and to renounce, but don't do it because you think you're bribing him. Just do it because, you know, I already know who I am and I already know what you've done for me and I know how much it cost you to save me and you did it willingly and I just want to love you with my life. And that may be something you've got to start right here, but just sort of a prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we come to you in awe. I pray that we really are in awe because you deserve it. Lord, you deserve for us to just not have the words, to look at your goodness and your ability to save and your, your, the, 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 the goodness of your heart. Lord, we are, we, you deserve for us to come and accept that. Lord God, I know that even more than that, you want our perspective on our situation to be tra- transformed and changed. So that we're not losing hope, we're not steeped in despair, and that we do believe that no matter what comes our way, you can turn it for a saving purpose. And Lord God, even when we don't see it, and we may not see it for really maybe even for the rest of our lives, maybe it's just continually saying, Lord God, I'm still trusting and your power to redeem, and your power to save. Father, I really want to pray. It's certainly not, it's certainly possible, even maybe likely, that there's someone here that they have, they think their relationship with you is based upon what they were able to give, what they're able to bargain with. And they just thought, well, I'm going to live a good life for Jesus and he's going to be happy with me. And he's going to accept me and take me to heaven because of that. Father, would you just blow a hole in that and show them that there's nothing that they can give except their love and their acceptance. All they can do is just receive it and be in awe of it. Brother, sister, if you're the one right here that you're just saying... I've been trying to work my way into God's good graces and to work my way into knowing he's forgiven me. Stop. Stop it. Accept what your brother has given for you. Put your faith in that, not in anything that you've done, and walk in that. And when you've done it, tell everybody and tell them to do the same. Lord God, I just pray that you'd be with us in this time. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.